We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Joining me here today in studio, a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners down through the years. In fact, many of us get our day started with him as a part of Daybreak. Heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. From Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, Pastor Don Sheely and Pastor Don, a delight to have you in studio with us today. Good to be with you, sir. Perhaps not many people in the audience know of the story of Pastor Don Sheely and Church of the Highlands and the amazing work that's gone up there in San Bruno for the last 50-something years, and how that um, Church of the Highlands and your work there was kind of a pause for a moment, a long moment, in, in your ministry and an burden that God had put in your heart in an entirely different direction, even as you have ministered here and led that congregation for so many years, I understand that many years ago, God had put a burden on your heart for the area of, called Borneo Correct. in Southeast Asia. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I think, Craig, the the whole concept of our church has been missions, but it's been unique in that we have had, instead of maintaining missionaries on the field, we have made our missionary pro, uh, missionary goals selecting projects and then we would go to a field and, and evaluate the project and see how, how it could be done and the cost and so forth. And so our congregation over the last 40 years has worked with projects. Years ago, we went to Africa and we uh, saw how easy it would be to build churches out in, in uh, Africa. So we built churches in Africa. We went to India and um, um, Mark Bentain, the great missionary there in Calcutta, uh, was a close friend of ours, and so we helped Mark select his site for a big hospital there in Calcutta and became a part of that project. And so we've moved around the world, and I have found that by doing it in projects, you can set a, set a goal, you can get your congregation tuned into that goal, and that's what's on their mind, and when it's finished, there's a sense of completion, whereas many missionary programs within the church is you send $100 here and $100 there over a period of time, uh, project goal missionary work has gives a sense of satisfaction, and so there's something to be said too, Pastor Don, about the effectiveness of that. In that, there is a certain expense when it comes to preparing a missionary to go overseas. They have to learn the culture, they have to learn the language. There are expenses involved in there. So many of your projects have been oriented toward training up local missionaries, meaning right. in-country nationals who don't have language barriers, who don't have to raise huge amounts of money because they're local. And as a result, the level of effectiveness in helping to sort of um, um, naturally see sort of an organic growth of the church in country uh, has been extremely successful, hasn't it? Yeah, we for many years, in other words, we select an area of the world and probably concentrate there for two or three years. Some years ago, we selected the Philippine Islands. And down in Mindanao, there was a training center there for the locals for mission work. And so we purchased, I think it was 40 acres, and we planted a rubber plantation 
with, I think, 1,100 rubber trees. Now that plantation underwrites all the cost mm-hmm. for operating that training center. And so uh, the joy of getting a project done brings great excitement. But what you do when you move the projects every three years, you change the focus of the congregation. And uh, what brought us to Borneo, Craig, was we had spent a lot of time working in the Philippine Islands. And we ventured across the uh, border from Malaysia into Indonesia. About 30 minutes in, there was this uh, uh, work of for orphans. And we, of course, helped very much. We built many of the classrooms and were involved. We sent in a back hole digger and so forth. But one day, we were talking about the mission work there in Borneo. And the uh, builder who had come there to help in Mount Hope told us about Ronnie's ministry deep in the jungle. Now, that fascinated me. I thought, now, go to the middle of the jungle and create a, a ministry. So I said, the next time we come, we've got to go find this man in the middle of the jungle. So as a result, uh, we made it there. It was a very, very difficult road to get there. It's about 12 hours of washboard roads. And it was late in the evening. We'd been delayed because of car problems and so forth, and probably 11 o'clock at night. And we were right in the middle of the jungle, and all of a sudden we came over the top of a hill, and I saw all these streetlights of a city. And it absolutely thrilled me that, how do you build a city in the middle of the jungles? And as soon as we arrived, uh, we, of course, met Ronnie, and we became fascinated. Here is an 800-acre project or more with a goal of a 1,000 children, schools, medical centers, hospitals, airfield. I mean, it's a complete city. And I've always enjoyed working with men who have great minds, who have a great dream. Way back in the uh, 70s, we visited Korea. When Dr. Hong, who had a Christian school there, he would... Uh, he had escaped from North Korea. Today he has a Christian school of 16,000 children. But a tremendous vision. God can do anything. And when I met Ronnie, I thought to myself, here's a guy that's much like Dr. Hong. He has a vision, and uh, he has a simple faith. And when I walked around that campus that day and saw about 60 buildings... And realizing that all that building material had to be brought in through that crazy road. And um, to see it, to see those hundreds and hundreds of children having a marvelous time, sitting there in the uh, cafeteria, eating, going to their schools. I thought, now here's a project that we would like to become a part of. Wasn't there part of this, Pastor Don, that was kind of fulfillment of a burden that had been on your heart for many, many years? Correct. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was my understanding that you had a burden to head off to Borneo to do missions work there right. at the point at which God called you to Church of the Highlands. So it was almost as if God paused that for a moment, gave you another assignment, and then when you completed or fulfilled that work, God said, okay, time to pick up where we left off almost five decades ago. When we entered the ministry, we had a missions burden. So we were going to act as a fill-in uh, missionary for missionaries who came home on furlough. And so they sent us over to Hong Kong, or they set up our apartment and sent a car over. 
and we got stuck in a church. So I've had a, a, a detour for 50 years. Mm-hmm. We, um, I always wanted, I love missionary work, but we got stuck in mission, work doing here. And uh, as a result... Had a great place to get stuck, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, the, the dream was always been. And then, Craig, there's a, a fascination inside me. Where is the end of the world? Go to the ends of the mm-hmm. world. Um, well, so when we had our Bible college in Ukraine back in 89 when the Iron Curtain mm-hmm. fell, here's Siberia. I thought, I'd like to go to Siberia. And so I talked with a couple of missionaries, and we ended up in Magadan, Siberia, which is as far from uh, as far as you can get in the Russian country. And um, we started a, a Bible college in Magadan, Siberia. And as a result of that, uh, that part of the world now has has pastors that are pastoring many of the churches. And so Borneo has always fascinated me because I know that it's one of the uh, most uh, uh, probably the most trying to think of a word we're so backward I mean no it's not it's not modern uh, it's a good definition of uttermost <laughs> yeah, uttermost it's uttermost and so I always wanted to go there and when I heard about Ronnie's project I thought here's our opportunity and of course Tony being our missionary pastor has been by my side and uh, when I got to Ronnie's project I knew we had uh, reached a uh, project that I believe, Craig, with all my heart, and I say this in Ronnie's presence, this will go down as one of the great missionary endeavors of the of the century. You know, we understand the concept of Judea and Samaria, and, and hopefully as believers we all have a passion for the Lord to share our faith with others, and in doing so can reach our Judea and venture out occasionally into Samaria. Um, getting that uttermost, though, um, we know we need to pray for that, we know it needs to be reached, but I wonder how many of us pray and say, Lord, send me to the uttermost that I might fulfill your great commandment and great commission. There's a brand new book out that both Ronnie and Pastor Don Sheely have co-authored together telling the story of this miracle zone. In fact, that's the title of the book, Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our special in-studio guest today, Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands, speaker on Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. here on KFAX. And with us from Borneo, yes, you heard right, Borneo, is Pastor Ronnie Habor. They are co-authors of a brand new book called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. Pastor Sheely, this is really... Powers and principalities in high places. Oh, yes. This is spiritual warfare. Correct. The likes of which many Western Christians don't really understand, do they? No, I think, you know, living here in the Western world, most of us do not understand how intense the spiritual powers are in some of these countries. And, um, you know, you really have to have a touch of God on your life because to deal with the spiritual issues, when you walk into it, you, you can actually feel. You feel demonic powers present. And um, so the, the, the challenge, uh, if a person went there just to be a professional missionary, he'd be gone in a few days. But to go there with a burden and a touch of God on your life, then you can 
see God at work in the lives of these people, um, it's an experience that, that you can't explain. And this is not casual Christianity. This is not cultural Christianity. This is, I may lose my life because of who I name as Lord and Savior, Christianity. Absolutely. This is the battle for hearts and minds between goodness and evil and dark and light and the enemy himself and very God himself. This is that battle being played out right in front of our very eyes. Very much so. And I think Ronnie has in a number of situations where he's had to deal, even with children who have been possessed and uh, they have their curses that have been placed upon them. And... uh, but to deal with intense spiritual concerns. And I've been in the ministry for a number of years, and maybe only once or twice have I had to deal with intense demonic involvement. But they're in the jungle. That's where they live with. And it really puts a perspective on all that we see in the New Testament. And I think as much as there are some Christians in the West, Ronnie, that would look at the book of Acts, for example, as a history book, and not realize that, yes, while it does give an account for what happened in the early church, in the early days of the establishment of the body of believers following Christ's resurrection, that it is also demonstrative of what real, authentic Christianity is all about. That we hear about miracles of demons being cast out or the blind seen or the lame walking in and we think well it wasn't it nice that God used to do those things and we don't realize that that is a part of God's world functioning every single day oh, absolutely. and that he uses these demonstrations of power largely as we see again throughout the book of Acts amazing to see almost every time that somebody was healed then word spread about absolutely. and everybody in the village came to Christ yeah. uh, the thousands uh, were then led to see him as uh, not just a good man who walked the earth, but rather as truly being God himself. There is a manner in which your church here in the San Francisco Bay Area is actively engaging believers into literally going into the mission field in Borneo. Tell us a bit more about that. One of the exciting programs we're having at the church is we're taking over groups maybe once a year from our congregation and having them become involved. And in July, we have 22 of our young people, plus some adults, 14 or 15 adults. And we sent over a, a exploratory team a couple months ago so that we could find a project for these 22 kids. So Ronnie has set aside 10 acres on his in his area. And uh, they're presently digging the holes, and we're going to be planting an orchard, a, a fruit orchard, so that in a couple, three years, the children will be enjoying. But... By sending our young people there, it is absolutely a life-changing experience. I was going to say, you know, so often people say, well, I'm going to go, we're going to go build um, homes in uh, Mexico because we want to do something for them. And we, when we come with this idea that we are going to minister to them, and while indeed that takes place, more often than not, the real ministry takes place as these people experience what God is doing there and then bring that back home to the Bay Area. Yeah, it's amazing. I think, you know, I have three wonderful boys that God has given to us. And years ago, we used to send them to Mexico. And that experience of ministering in Mexico turned their hearts towards ministry. So I have the joy of having all three of my sons working with me. But our prayer is that when these young people go, uh, 
in the next couple of months that we're going to see some life-changing experiences and they'll come home and ignite our youth group with their love for Christ and, and the experience of which they're going through. If it could only be made mandatory that as young people come to Jesus Christ and they get involved in, in pure discipleship and they learn to love the Lord, read His Word, uh, live out His Word, share that love with others, and then be required to go on a trip overseas and watch God work and be a part of yep. that. Mm-hmm. And the the change that happens when you come back, you're not the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we did as a church, we talked it over, it's quite a large sum, $3,000 to send one over to Borneo for two weeks. So what we did as a church, we put up the 2000 so that all the youth had to do was raise 1000 which was they were able to do. And so they have become, in a very real way, a part of the project. But the, we think it's a tremendous investment in the lives of young people as a church. I'm going to tell you, Pastor Don, at the end of the day, um, you you couldn't do better if you sent him to seminary for 10 years. That's right. Because what God will do in that experience. You can get more information on the web, livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You've got photographs there. Folks can see yes. the entire uh, development. And as Pastor Sheely mentioned, 60-something buildings. It, it really is a miracle in the middle of that jungle yeah. there. And that's a great way to get educated about the ministry and, of course, uh, to lend support as well. And so if folks want to get more information, uh, maybe this is uh, something you pray about and say, you know, uh, we'd like to be a part of this and stand with um, uh, the ministry of Ronnie Habor and the family there at Living Waters Village. Uh, Pray for them, certainly. And then if the Lord puts the burden on your heart for economic support, uh, folks, I would imagine, can make a donation right through the website. They can. And they can come over as well and give us a hand if they want to. Well, that's right. In in fact, just like the team coming from Church of the Highlands. And, uh, you know, if you want to be planted into a good, dynamic church with solid Bible teaching and a real demonstrative passion for a Christian worldview that um, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts, I guess that would be San Bruno, um, Northern California, and all the way into uh, the jungles of Borneo. Uh, Check out Church of the Highlands, the broadcast, of course, weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. You can get information on the web, churchofthehighlands.org. That's churchofthehighlands.org. And if listeners... Pastor Sheely have a burden and say, you know what? This is exactly the kind of ministry I've been looking for. This is exactly the kind of thing that I'd I'd like to go and experience. Um, some of these trips uh, in the future are they open to folks coming and getting more information about? Yes, we open going? up. We open up the trips, and uh, the interesting thing about it, Craig, is we can send over carpenters, whatever it is, because they're building a city. So whatever's needed in a city. Ronnie needs it for the help. So if they want to help teach the children in the school, if they want whatever they want to do, they can use their their abilities there. And the reason why I like this project in in the years that uh, we have been involved in missions, oftentimes we can send them dollar bills and and but they don't to send over a church family to help is is really not uh, the, the most effective way. But here's a project where we can just say to the church we're going to be taking another tour. Come and join us, and uh, we've already built our Highlands house there at the uh, orphanage, so we can, how many can we accommodate, Ronnie? Uh, about 50, I think, in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ronnie and I sat down a couple of years ago in, in a restaurant, and we drew out the kind of house we wanted and made it much like a, a motel, and with the idea that because the parents sometimes that are living want to come see their children, so it gives them a place to stay. And we have churches from all over the world coming there to help, so it gives them uh, some uh, living quarters. And uh, I guess when we send our team a couple of months, our kids are going to yeah. be 
staying there in the Highlands House. Yeah. So if you want to get more information, again, you can um, go to Ronnie Habor's website at livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You can also call Church of the Highlands in San Bruno if you'd like to find out more about the next opportunity to travel on a missions trip. You'll go with the intention of helping to change lives and come back a changed person. Yeah. Um, on the web, churchofthehighlands.org, or you can call the church directly at area code 650-873-4095. That's 650-873-4095. Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. New book written and co-authored by Ronnie Habor and Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands. Ronnie, great to see you again. Appreciate the visit. Yeah, thank Pastor you, Don Sheely, always wonderful to have you drop God by. God bless you, Greg. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Many believers today, maybe maybe privately you might even admit this for yourself, you can tell people what you believe, you just can't tell them why. We're going to talk a bit about that today as we meet a very special guest, certainly a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners. He's heard weekday mornings at 7.30 a.m. here on KFAX, senior pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland at Alistair. Great to have you on the program. Thank you, Craig. It's very kind of you, and uh, it's, a, it's a treat always to talk with you. My goodness, 30 years. Uh, <laughs> the Lord has done some amazing things over the course of the last three decades. Could, could you ever have imagined when you came from uh, Scotland with your, your wife and young family all that time ago that, that the Lord would have taken you in this direction? No, I, I honestly couldn't, and uh, it seems... In some ways, as though it was only yesterday, time has gone by so quickly, as you say, and yet uh, these have been great and privileged years, and I, I really wouldn't want to change very much about them at all. It's been a peculiar joy to, uh, first of all, serve this congregation and have them be so long-suffering as to put up with me for three decades. <laughs> and uh, and then the radio program on top of that is a, is a, is a wonderful opportunity that uh, we certainly are uh, humbled by and don't take for granted. Well, and we don't take it for granted either, Alistair, because I think uh, many of us um, recognize the importance for a ministry such as yours that in in the 30 years has moved, I think, consistently and critically so more and deeper into the arena of a, a Christian apologetics, of which, my goodness, if there was ever a day and time when we needed Christians to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within, this is it. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I was listening to your introductory comments, and uh, I, I agree with you entirely. And uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the fault, if there if there is an inadequate preparation on the part of uh, uh, Christian people, uh, a lot of the fault has to lie with those of us who are pastors, because our role is to prepare God's people for works of ministry, and uh, part of the ministry is the ministry of proclamation and. Uh, so uh, we don't want to chide ourselves too much, but we take seriously the peculiar challenges that are represented uh, in uh, the culture here in America, particularly in, uh, and uh, expressly so just in the last few days. Well, and certainly, you know, I think all of us perhaps begrudgingly can agree that there have been um, areas lacking in the modern-day American pulpit. But that said, the people in the pews have to take a little bit of responsibility to this, too. And I think about uh, a wonderful focus that you bring. I was just going through the pages of um, the book that you've co-authored with Sinclair Ferguson, Name Above All 
small names. And I just, for the benefit of the audience, let me just quote um, a couple of opening lines here. Alistair writes, Jesus Christ has been given the name above all names. The names assigned to him begin in Genesis, end in Revelation. Taken together, they express the incomparable character of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Reflecting on them better prepares us to respond to the exhortations of Scripture, to focus our gaze upon him, and to meditate on how great he is. Then Alistair continues, Being able to think long and lovingly about the Lord Jesus is a dying art. The disciplines required to reflect on him for a prolonged period of time and to be captivated by him have been relegated to a secondary place in contemporary Christian life. Action, rather than meditation, is the order of the day. Sadly, too often that action is not suffused with the grace and power of Jesus Christ. Boy, if anything could could handily sum up some of what we see in the trends taking place in, in the church in specific and in our society at large, that, that certainly summarizes it. Well, yeah, I think it's a, <laughs> I think it sounds so good. I'm pretty sure that must be Sinclair. <laughs> <laughs> but it's right on the mark because we we don't ponder the word the way we used to. No. And to reflect on Jesus Christ, to sit and imagine spending hours just pondering about the amazing gift of God's grace that, that God would be so passionate about his love for the creation that had nevertheless offended him so, and yet still he was willing to send his only begotten son to die on our behalf. Such a greater love mankind has never known. And and I think that observation in name above all names is right on the mark that we've, it, we've lost the capacity or the desire or the heartbeat to want to ponder and study on that. And I imagine if we would recapture that ability how the church could turn the world upside down. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, if you take the average person coming to church, they're, they're not asking the question, where is Jesus? They're asking, where am I? Mm. And uh, there's a sort of man-centered orientation to even the study of Scripture and even the way in which uh, the Bible is taught that sort of reinforces notions that are you know, sort of immediately appealing, but they don't have any long-lasting value. They're not going to stand uh, in the in the challenges of, of uh, time when a culture as, as ours turns increasingly secular and uh, the Christian church begins to uh, face the challenge of living as a minority uh, in, in the culture, which has not been uh, part and parcel of the American psyche, at, at least until this point in time. How much of this really pivots on the church, its strength, its understanding of God's word, its ability to make disciples when we talk about the direction or the condition of of culture and society at large? Well, you know, church history makes it fairly clear, I think, Craig, that uh, that the collapse of the church has always been internal. You know, it it has always been able to handle the the challenges of persecution, the blood of the martyrs being the seed of the church. And when the prevailing drift on the outside has been at its most intense, uh, then the people of God have rediscovered who they are, what God expects of them, and they've, they've rallied to the challenge. Um, but but the real danger is the, the danger of a sort of internal uh, erosion and uh, a collapse in confidence, a loss of confidence in the in the relevance and in the truth and in the power of the good news itself. And again, many many people who pay lip service to to Jesus uh, will be uh, really uh, struggling to to stand up to the. 
the, the exclusivity of the claims of Jesus, that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus, that there's only one name by which men and women may be saved, and that is in the name of Jesus. And the, the, the drift in culture in, in our um, uh, sort of deconstructed use of language and our understanding of history is so dominant that uh, it, it's absolutely imperative that uh, those who profess the name of Christ uh, really dig in and understand just what it means for them to be in union with Christ and what a man in, and or a, mo- a woman in Christ really is. If you've just joined our conversation tonight, Pastor Alistair Begg with us on the program. He, of course, is the host of Truth For Life, heard weekday mornings at 7.30 a.m. We're going to take a brief time out. When we come back, more of our conversation, we dig down into the baseline importance of what it means to truly be a disciple of Christ as our conversation with Pastor Alistair Begg continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Pastor Alistair Big on the program tonight. More information on the web about the broadcast and ministry at truthforlife.org. That's truthforlife.org. The broadcast weekday mornings at 730 right here on KFAX. You know, we hear these days, Alistair, uh, churches that have huge crowds and folks that will get up in the platforms, uh, on the pulpit rather, and will share uh, platitudes and nice stories and things of this sort. It seems, though, that on an ever-increasing basis... Preaching about the blood of Christ, the atonement, preaching about the need to count the cost of what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is something that is that seems to be glaringly absent. Well, yes, I, you know, I think um, it's always dangerous to generalize, and I know you understand that too. Um, yeah, I think we've gone through a real a, a real period of time in which, you know, that idea of the way to make sure that we don't offend anybody is to uh, dilute things to the point of uh, pretty well tastelessness. And, um, you know, when um, the old uh, Scottish theologian spoke to the Yale Divinity students, uh, uh, James Stewart, in in 1952, uh, he warned them, 52, which is 61 years ago, about what he referred to as a a theologically vague and harmlessly accommodating kind of Christianity, which he said was absolutely useless. Mm. And, you know, I, I think we're seeing the evidences of that now. And one of the one of the encouraging things for me as somebody who's now moved into, you know, um, my 60s is to see how many young men, though, are coming through in uh, various places in the country and who have really fastened on to the idea that... Uh, if we're going to take seriously what it means that Jesus is Lord, then we have no right to tamper with or to dilute or to try and redefine the claims of Jesus, but we must just state them as they are. And, of course, to fail to do so really uh, sort of strips the gospel of its life-changing power, doesn't it? Well, of course it does. I mean, the me- I mean, in, in first century Corinth, Paul knew that, uh, you know, if he gave the people what they wanted to to receive, whether it was the Jew or the Greek, then they would receive him with open arms. Uh, But the one thing that uh, uh, they were unprepared for is, um, you know, the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. There certainly seems to be, as we look at society today, uh, Western culture, 
there still seems to be a desire and interest in spiritual things. I, I think that sense of, of man's deep innate longing uh, to be connected with God is there. We just, on an ever-increasing basis, don't know how to define it. And we head out to many false sources to try and address it or satisfy it, be it through pagan religion or the occult or whatever the case might be. Um, and and yet, so we see still a strong hunger, a strong spiritual desire, but it seems as if fewer people are really turning to Christianity, perhaps because we're not sharing the message with the kind of clarity and relevance that is needed to pierce people's hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit and and present a gospel that people can look at and say, wow, there's real power behind this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really helpful, Craig. I, you know, we have an Australian friend who visits here, you know, every few years, and I remember the last time he was here, he made a comment concerning you know, sort of American Christianity, and of course we want to be as guarded with Australians as we should be with Scotsmen. But uh, <laughs> he, he, you know, he said that he 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 sensed a tone in American Christianity which was which was a tone of admonition rather than a tone of mission. So that mm. we were going to the culture to admonish them for everything that was wrong, uh, you know, in their belief system and in their expressions of their understandings. And I think it is an important thing to realize that uh, Jesus never, ever, um, and he never deviated from the clarity of his message. And yet the way in which he approached Zacchaeus or the way in which he approached the woman at the well, you know, is, is a masterful illustration to us of the way in which... Uh, we ought to be prepared to to speak to people on the on the troubled seas of life. Have we missed the mark then to a great degree in the sense, Alistair, that I think of the the wave of evangelicalism uh, getting involved in the body politic in a significant fashion, first in the late 1970s and, and certainly in through the decade of the 1980s and into the 90s, not to suggest at all, before listeners flood the phone lines here and I get in trouble, that, that we don't have an obligation as believers to vote and be involved in this business of self-governance. I believe that we do. And yet, oftentimes, it seemed as if there was a time in which we exchanged our involvement in the body politic for the realization that if we're going to change the world, we have to change hearts. You really can't affect change of heart by making political change. Yes, things and work needs to be done. Certainly the evidence of the um, uh, what's been coming out of Washington, D.C. in the last couple of days proves that. Yet at the end of the day, the real power is the, is the changed heart. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we do want to make sure that, that each of us are seizing the privileges and responsibilities of living in a democracy like this and making our voice heard and standing up for, uh, you know, moral rectitude and for, for biblical values and so on. But, um, you know, I, I think it's probably too soon to make these determinations, and I'm also fearful of overstepping my bounds here. But if you think back to... Well, I've been here three decades, so I get here right around the time I think that the moral majority and uh, and that whole movement is, you know, is, is coming to the fore and doing what it's done and, you know, it's gone all the way around. But, you know, I think we have to say that actually it really hasn't achieved its objectives. Mm-hmm. It's been it's, it's been unable to, to do this. I mean, we, we're, we're talking now... Uh, the day after the Supreme Court, you know, passes down what is it certainly couldn't be any any anything other than um, uh, a testimony to to immorality and to the the the, um, 
the, the very reverse of the things that were angled for and labored for. And I actually am quite excited about it, though, Craig. I, I'm not despondent. I'm not wringing my hands. I, I think that there are certain things that are bad for our country that may well prove to be good for the church. Mm. If we... If we recognize that, uh, as we must, that God is sovereign over these things, that he is the one who sets people up and he is the one who brings them down. Um, he doesn't do that in a vacuum and therefore our voice must be heard. But we have to recognize too that, you know, our view of the world is is a much larger, vaster conception of what is going on. We're actually affirming the fact that Jesus Christ is not only a resurrected uh, Savior, but he is an ascended King, that he rules over the cosmos, and that the providence of God is such that nothing happens except through him and by his will. That's basic biblical Christianity, which, of course, challenges a worldview that is deistic or pantheistic. Uh, which, of course, is, you know, uh, both both perspectives are prevalent in, in our contemporary society. So that really takes us back then to the centrality of his lordship and maybe time, as you point out, for some introspection of the church. As much as it's easy to become dismayed by these events, morally, politically, even economically, that's been occurring in our country and in, in sort of the, the micro and globally in the macro, to understand that for the church, focusing back on teaching and prayer and giving ourselves to evangelism and to worship and giving to the poor and, and certainly discipleship, if we can get back to those key things, then I think God can indeed have us in the position where he can better use us to influence culture and society around us. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you think about, for example, an era like, uh, you know, the 18th century awakening with Whitfield, yes. you've, you, all, you always have strong, strong preaching. Uh, Dwight L. Moody, you know, apparently didn't have very many sermons, but nobody misunderstood him when he spoke. And he combined, as did Spurgeon in Victorian England, um, a real commitment to the good news, the proclamation of the good news, combined with expressions of good deeds, so that both of them were engaged in in the social um, dimension of their immediate environment, whether it was in Chicago or in London. Both of them were involved with orphanages, and yet they did not for a moment confuse the necessity of people turning to Christ in repentance and faith with uh, the the good and necessary outflow of Christian uh, living that that uh, cares for, the, for those who are least and last and left out. If there could be one singular message that is central to your heartbeat, the one message that you'd like to get across to every man and woman who has named Jesus as Lord and Savior, what would that be? Wow. Oh, well, I think if I just apply it to myself, I mean, I think to fully understand that, you know, when Paul says one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to understand that, that he's not talking there about that being an expression of devotion. He's talking about being a, an expression of his identity. That what he's saying there is that this that this Jesus, as the apostles did post-Pentecost, this Jesus whom you crucified, uh, God has made him both Lord and King. And therefore, I have no freedom to believe anything other than what he teaches me. And what he teaches me is left for me in the scriptures. And I have no freedom to behave in any other way than that for which uh, to which I'm called. And that then, you know, impacts 
every area of our lives, uh, our vocation, uh, our sexuality, uh, our marriages, uh, our singleness, whatever it might be. And, you know, then then we have an opportunity to uh, to speak to people. And, and often, uh, you know, the, the attractiveness of it uh, ought to be found in the loveliness of Christ, mm. the compassion of Christ, the patience of Christ. And I think so often, if you if you take, for example, and sometimes the media has branded us in this way and a few crazy people have, have led to it, but, but I think we do have to face the fact that we often come across as a rather disgruntled and angry bunch of people, uh, as opposed to uh, a people who say that they have been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Yeah, you're right. It's often interesting if you talk to non-believers um, and get their opinion about Christians. Uh, they can give you a long list, a big litany of what it is that we are against. Right. And then when you ask them, can you tell us what Christians are for? There's silence. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and that speaks volumes, certainly. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I, I you know, if you think about Jesus with the woman at the well, you know, what a, what a conversation starts. May I have a drink of water, please? You know, he doesn't. He he eventually gets to the point. You know, when he asks her to call her husband, and and she admits that you know she's had a number of husbands and she has a live-in lover. But that's not what that's not what he starts with. I mean, he's not sitting at the well with a big sign condemning you know her uh, her multiple relationships. He he starts by uh, simply engaging her in conversation. Hey, we as the church can learn a lot from that example, that we might be better to engage the culture and society around us for the sake of the gospel by simply beginning with engaging others in conversation and, of course, ultimately understanding what it means to be a disciple, to count the cost. We sure appreciate your time, your faithfulness to the Lord, and the caliber and quality of your uh, teaching ministry. Thanks so much again for the time. There's Pastor Alistair Begg. Again, uh, his broadcast is weekday mornings at 730 here on KFAX. And, uh, wow, 30 years of ministry at Parkside Church in uh, Cleveland. And what a blessing it is to have him as part of the ministry here at KFAX. And let me just say this. If Alistair's pulpit ministry has been a blessing to you, would you take a moment today and jot him a note? It's not about puffing people up, but, you know, sometimes it's good to know that you're making a difference, that what you're saying and what you're teaching and your heartbeat and your passion for God and for his word is impacting lives. And if you would take a moment today to drop him a note, I know that he would certainly be blessed and encouraged by that. You can get more information about the ministry at truthforlife.org, truthforlife.org. That's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.